1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good
2: afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. During today's program, we're going to be giving away a family four pack of tickets to Gospel Sing Live coming to uh, the Salem waterfront on the 16th of August. We're going to give those tickets away, by the way. Just a little inside information this first hour. So. Keep your eyes and ears open. I guess just your ears open. And we're going to ge- be giving away family four packs of tickets for the uh, next, well, few days. So um, listen up for your opportunity to win. We're going to begin today's program with a look at some of the day's headlines and uh, then we're going to uh, later in the program hear from Max McLean who is going to be performing C.S. Lewis on stage The Most Reluctant Convert that's coming to the Newmark Theater the 2nd and 3rd of August on Friday the 2nd at 8 o'clock p.m. and on Saturday the 3rd at 4 o'clock p.m. More details on that later in the 5 o'clock hour. First a look at some of the news following former Special counsel Robert Mueller's testimony on Capitol Hill Wednesday, the president accused the Democrats of creating a phony crime by alleging he committed obstruction of justice in the Russian investigation. He says he didn't do it. They created a phony crime. He said during an exclusive interview yesterday, last night, in fact, and then they say he went on to say he obstructed. They said there was no collusion, but he obstructed and there has never been anything like this ever in this country, end quote. Well, during the interview, Trump reiterated his desire to investigate the investigators over the origins of the Russia probe and said Attorney General William Barr uh, would be looking into it, though Mueller's uh, probe uh, didn't reach a conclusion on whether Trump committed a crime. The president is uh, no fan of the investigation, calling it a high crime, treason and a disgrace to our country. Meanwhile, the Democrats are at a crossroads on Trump's impeachment and Pelosi met with AOC as she struggled to bridge the party divide. Well, House Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi on Thursday warned congressional Democrats who support impeachment proceedings against the president not to disparage colleagues who don't. A source familiar with the conversations uh, says Pelosi's guidance came on the heels of a former special counsel, Robert Mueller's uh, rocky testimony, which left in doubt the future of the effort to oust Uh, Trump. Pelosi, for her part, mostly has resisted impeachment pressure from the start. In recent weeks, the lawmaker from San Francisco has been trying to tamp down the infighting in the caucus between the far left and more moderate elements of the party. As part of that effort, she uh, met today with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the freshman lawmaker, chief of staff, is among the the Hill figures who've been antagonizing centrist Democrats. Pelosi still suspects Trump has been compromised by Russia. She told the Tucker Carlson Tonight producer that she wonders what Putin has on Trump politically, financially and personally. So she doesn't believe the president um, is exonerated, to use a word that uh, was defined in in um, discussed during that hearing uh, yesterday, uh, but doesn't believe impeachment is in her party's best interest. In other news House lawmakers uh, yesterday approved a budget and debt deal that President Trump had endorsed, although most Republicans voted against the package. While not funding the government, the measure would stave off another government shutdown by permitting the Treasury to borrow freely to pay the government's bills and solidly uh, and solidify recent budget gains for military and domestic programs without coming up with ways to offset those costs. The measure would tackle two big items on Washington's agenda, increasing the debt limit through 2021, thus averting a defeat on U.S. payments, or default rather, and setting overall spending limits to prevent $125 billion in automatic spending cuts from hitting military and domestic programs, with 10 percent cuts beginning in January. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez expressed support for the decolonization process of Puerto Rico following the announced resignation of its embattled governor, Ricardo Rossello, in an Instagram live stream on Thursday night Cortez took uh, questions from her followers. The first asked how she felt about what's happening in Puerto Rico. Uh, Cortez says, um, who is uh, of Puerto Rican descent, suggested that the United States Commonwealth became become independent. I'm really proud of everyone that's out there. But the, of course, there's a lot of work to be done, she said. This is just the beginning of a decolonization process, a process of self-determination where the people of Puerto Rico began to start taking their own self-government into their own hands. Well, that wasn't the the crux of the issue that ousted the governor, but oh well. Uh, Three fraternity brothers at the University of Mississippi have been suspended and are possibly facing federal charges for taking a photo in front of a bullet-riddled sign honoring slain civil rights icon Emmett Till while holding a shotgun and AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. The photo is on Instagram with hundreds of likes and no one said a thing, says a complainant filed with the UM Office of Student Conduct, the Mississippi Center for Investigation. Investigative Reporting, which is a member of the ProPublica local reporting network, reviewed the complaint and obtained a copy of the photo in question, which was taken earlier this year. Kappa Alpha Order officials reportedly suspended the three fraternity brothers on Wednesday after the photo was brought to their attention by the Center for Investigative Reporting. The U.S. government will pay American farmers hurt by the trade war with China between $15 and $150 per acre in an aid package totaling $16 billion, officials said yesterday, with farmers in the South poised to see higher rates than in the Midwest. The assistance starting in mid to late August follows Republican President Donald Trump's $12 billion package last year that was aimed at making up for lower farm good prices uh, and lost sales. And growth decelerated in the second quarter, but not by as much as Wall Street thought as tariffs and a global slowdown weighed on the U.S. economy. The Commerce Department reported today GDP increased 2.1 percent down from 3.1 percent from the first quarter and the weakest uh, increase since the last quarter of 2017 when President Donald Trump took office. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand released her moonshot plan to address climate change on Thursday, calling for $10 trillion in spending over the next decade, the Washington Free Beacon reports. In the same manner, Tom Steyer, the newest entrant to the presidential race, introduced a climate change plan Thursday night that's more aggressive than most of his competitors, according to the Washington Examiner. Steyer uh, aims for the U.S. to cut fossil fuel pollution from all economic sectors to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions across the entire economy by 2045, a faster timeline than major Democratic candidates have proposed, except Jay Inslee, who has set the same date. He projects his plan would cost $2.3 trillion in government spending. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, just winding our way through some of the headlines, and then we'll spend the bulk of today's program on the lighter side of the news. So stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. James Blend producing, Clark Hilton Engineering, today's program.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 19 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the headline news of the last two days. Well, a federal judge in California on Wednesday blocked the Trump administration from imposing restrictions on individuals seeking asylum in the United States just hours after a judge in Washington had decided to let the rule stand while lawsuits played out in court. Well, the rule published in the Federal Register last week requires people who are seeking asylum to apply first in one of the Countries They cross through on their way to the United States with certain exceptions. It targets tens of thousands of Central Americans who crossed Mexico each month trying to enter the United States. The rule was not quickly uh, was met rather quickly with a legal challenge from advocacy groups who moved for a temporary restraining order blocking that rule. And uh, Ricardo Rossello, the embattled governor of Puerto Rico, announced Wednesday that he will leave office on the 2nd of August after more than a week of massive protests calling for his ouster over leaked, obscene, misogynistic online chats. Rossello took to Facebook to announce that his resignation will be effective at 5 p.m. next Friday. Puerto Rico's uh, Department of Justice confirmed to Fox News on Tuesday that search warrants had been issued in an investigation into the governor and 11 of his aides over whether they committed any crimes related to offensive, obscenity-laden online chats that were released. And by the way, just as a a note, it was... uh 1952, yesterday, 1952, Puerto Rico became a self-governing commonwealth of the United States, and it certainly is much in the news today. Jeffrey Epstein, the politically connected financier facing multiple charges of sex trafficking, was found unconscious in his New York jail cell with injuries to his neck in a possible suicide attempt, according to multiple reports. He was found by guards sprawled out on the floor at a metropolitan correctional center and taken to a nearby hospital. It's unclear how he suffered his neck injuries. Investigators believe he may have done it to himself, either on purpose or as a ploy to get transferred out of jail, according to sources. And the Justice Department said Wednesday it will not prosecute Attorney General William Barr. For contempt of Congress, rejecting House Democrats' attempt last week to punish Mr. Barr in a spat over the 2020 census. The move is in keeping with longstanding department policy and follows the lead of the Obama administration, which likewise refused to prosecute then Attorney General Eric Holder Jr. after he was held in criminal contempt. And the Department of Justice announced on Thursday that it will resume capital punishment for the first time in nearly two decades. Attorney General William Barr has directed that executions for five death row inmates be scheduled. If carried out, they will be the first federal executions since 2003. And the House voted 264 to 169 on Wednesday to pass legislation that would create a new Treasury Department agency to provide taxpayer-backed loans to endangered multi-employer pension plans and some other types of endangered plans. What could possibly go wrong? And on Wednesday, in a lopsided 429 to 3 vote, the House passed a bill that will stop bad robocalls. I'm not sure what constitutes a bad robocall from a good one, but... At least there's some remedy, we hope, for robocalls. And President Trump has vetoed three congressional resolutions that would block his emergency arms sales to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Congress is not expected to have the two-thirds majority needed to override the president's vetoes. And North Korea test fired two new short range ballistic missiles on Thursday. South Korean officials said its first missile test since its leader Kim Jong-un and U.S. President Trump agreed to revive denuclearization talks last month. Firing a ballistic missile would be a... uh Violation of the U.N. Security Council resolutions that ban the North from the use of such technology. And China sharpened its hostility toward the United States and Taiwan in a new high-level report on its future military strategy that accused Washington and its allies of undermining global stability. Releasing the document Wednesday, officials of the People's Liberation Army repeatedly warned that Beijing would be willing to deploy military force to assert its claim over Taiwan. And moving forward, Iran successfully test-fired a medium-range ballistic missile Wednesday, which flew more than 600 miles from the southern part of the country to an area outside the capital. It wasn't clear whether Wednesday's test was in violation of any sanctions against Iran. The 2015 nuclear deal did not address Iran's conventional missile program. And the Senate on Thursday confirmed General Mark Miley to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, replacing General Joseph uh, Dunford as the Pentagon's top uniformed um, officer and uh, filling another key post at the top of the military command. And a record 61,000 unaccompanied migrant children have surged over the U.S.-Mexico border and been handed to federal care facilities since October. And there are still over two months left in the fiscal year, according to immigration officials. The number tops the total for fiscal year 2016. At 59,170, turned over to the the Department of Health and Human Services. And Representative Tosley um, Gabbard, a 2020 presidential contender, is suing Google over claims that the tech behemoth violated her rights to free speech. In a federal complaint filed Thursday in the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California, Gabbard alleged Google censored her presidential campaign when it suspended their advertising account for several hours last month. And now they tell us New York Times story says uh, Mueller was hands off uh, short on stamina during that report. Democrats struggled to figure out their next move against Trump after Mueller's hearing fell flat. But it seems that they will move forward with efforts to impeach the president. On this day in history in 1775, the Continental Congress established a post office and appoints Benjamin Franklin, its postmaster general. And on this day in 1908, U.S. Attorney General Charles Bonaparte, Charles Bonaparte, orders the creation of a force of special agents that was a forerunner of the FBI. And on this day in 1990, President George Herbert Walker Bush signs the Americans with Disabilities Act, and on this day in history, 2002, the Republican-led House votes 295 to 132 to create a an enormous uh, ha- Homeland Security Department in the biggest government reorganization in decades. Also on this day in history, 2016, Hillary Clinton becomes the first woman to be nominated for president by a major political party at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. <coughs> Now, as promised, we want to give away a pair of – I should say a family four-pack of tickets – to Gospel Sing Live. It's coming up soon, Friday, August 16th, 7 o'clock p.m. at Riverfront Park in Salem. You can come hear some of your favorite Southern Gospel artists. That includes the Booth Brothers, Tribute Quartet, and Wes Hampton of the Gaither Vocal Band. Enjoy listening on the lawn with your blanket or chair, or choose reserved seating with chairs provided. Bring your family and friends, your church group, or give a gift to someone you know who has their anniversary or birthday coming and loves gospel music. Now, to get your tickets, you can call us here at 503-652-8158 or go to kpdq.com. But we want to give away a family four-pack of tickets to Gospel Sing to our third caller this afternoon. And that number to call is 1-800-845-2162. 800 845 2162. Now, you will need to pick those tickets up here at the station. um, And uh, you can get all those details when you speak to Clark. But again, we're giving away a family four pack of tickets to Gospel Sing Live coming up on the 16th of August, 7 p.m. at Riverfront Park in Salem. 1 800 845 2162. And we'll be doing that, uh, oh, for the next, uh, the whole of next week maybe beyond that but i haven't uh, haven't checked so far well, the Supreme court has sided with the Trump administration and its plans to use Pentagon funds to build a border wall. The decision split along ideological lines handed down today, just moments ago, really allows the administration to move ahead with plans to use military funds for the border wall plans in several Western States. The conservative justices on the court ruled in favor liberal justices, Elena Kagan, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor dissented and justice Stephen Breyer issued a split decision. The president celebrated the ruling, uh, Calling it a big victory on the wall, the United States Supreme Court overturns the lower court injunction, allows southern border wall to proceed, big win for the border security and the rule of law. Well, the ruling lifts a freeze on the money put in place by a lower court. The Supreme Court's actions means the Trump administration can tap the funds and begin work on four contracts it has awarded. And the president today announced a so-called safe third country deal with Guatemala to restrict asylum claims to the United States from Central America, calling it a landmark agreement and arguing it will put the coyotes and smugglers out of business. We've long been working with Guatemala, and now we can do do it right, uh, the president told reporters in the Oval Office with Guatemalan Interior Minister Enrique um, Degenhardt at his side. The president told reporters he believes this will really help with the situation on the border, saying it's a very... A very big day. Well, the agreement will require migrants, including Salvadorans and, Holland, um, and Hondurans, rather, uh, who cross into Guatemala on their way to the United States to apply for protection in Guatemala instead of at the U.S. border. It could potentially ease the crush of migrants, overwhelming the U.S. immigration system, and hand Trump a concession he could uh, herald as a win as he struggles to live up to his campaign promises on immigration. The announcement comes after a court in California blocked the president's most restrictive asylum Efforts to date, one that would effectively end protections at the southern border. And as mentioned briefly a moment ago, Attorney General Bill Barr said Thursday the federal government will resume capital punishment and will move forward with plans to execute five inmates on death row for the first time in more than 15 years. The Justice Department said Barr has directed the Federal Bureau of Prisons to adopt a proposed addendum to the federal execution. Um, uh, 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 protocol that will clear the way for the executions. And more than a dozen U.S. Marines were arrested early Thursday on a variety of charges ranging from human smuggling to drug-related charges, according to officials. The U.S. Marine Corps said in a news release that 16 Marines were arrested during a battalion formation at Camp Pendleton in California. Information gained from a previous human smuggling investigation precipitated the arrests, officials said. An additional eight Marines were taken aside for questioning of their involvement in alleged Uh, drug offenses unrelated to the arrests on Thursday. Well, that covers the more serious news of the day, and we'll spend the bulk of the program, with the exception of my conversation with Max McLean on the C.S. Lewis on stage, the most reluctant convert coming to the Newmark Theater August 2nd and 3rd. But we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news, so stay with us.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back, 34 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and it's Fun Friday. All of a sudden, it's just sparked. It is now officially Fun Friday. James Blend has joined me in studio. He's the producer of this program, and Clark Hilton, of course, engineering as well. Uh, welcome to the studio, and could you, could you keep it down?
3: I'll do my best. Yeah,
2: please do. Nothing says, well, honor like butter. For over a century, the Ohio State Fair has featured its signature sculpture of a cow and a calf. But this year, someone had a butter idea. Get it? The but better butter. Did you get that, huh, James? Huh?
3: Was there actually something to get there? I'm sorry. Yeah, well.
2: Well, Scott Higgins, who's the CEO of the American Dairy Association Mideast, on Tuesday unveiled a group of themed sculptures celebrating the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And yes, we're talking about life size. The Dairy Products Building at the State Fairgrounds houses a life-size depiction of Neil Armstrong, a native of Waka saluting the American flag he planted on the moon. Also on hand, the other Apollo 11 moonmen, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins, sitting next to a butter cow. It had a cattle ID tag with an embossed 11 and a calf with an Apollo ear tag.
3: Now, I thought the moon was made of cheese, not butter.
2: Well, apparently, um, I mean, the same base thing, it's still got that milk thing going. Of course,
3: what would have really impressed me here is if it was a life-size butter sculpture of the moon itself.
2: Yeah, you're right. I'm a lot that less would, impressed now.
3: I know. That's. The, I was thinking to myself, you know, <laughs> probably somebody would mistake it for the Death Star from Star Wars, but hey, it would it'd still be cool. It would have been
2: impressive. Those who remember the moon landing often recall exactly where they were and how they felt. And the 50th anniversary is the perfect time to pay tribute to this amazing event and share that excitement with a new generation. That's a quote from Jenny Hubble, (laughs) kind of good name, senior vice president of communications for the American Dairy Association Mideast. In a statement, Ohio also has a special connection to that day as one of our own took the first step, first ever step on the surface of the moon. So uh, Neil Armstrong is a native of Wapakoneta, anyway. That's
3: actually, where I, exactly what popped into my head when he said yeah. that?
2: Five artists churned out the uh, structures through 500 hours of craftsmanship. The creamy, smooth works will debut uh, at the fair's opening. Artists wear nitrite gloves to prevent the butter from breaking down and use sculpture tools. Uh, similar to those used for clay pottery, including metal chisels and scrapers to mold the uh, the
3: sculptures. So it's
2: pretty impressive, actually, if you have a chance to look for that online.
3: Um, it, I was thinking to myself, I, I got a bagel. It's a little dry. Can you grab me one of Neil Armstrong's fingers, please?
2: <laughs> yeah, really. Um, this, <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but it's terrible. It doesn't matter what you think of the president. The fact that the president of the United States was spoofed in this way is. Pretty bad. But Donald Trump appeared in front of a fake seal with two headed eagle um, and Google search has been blamed for the whole thing. Uh, this is what we know. The seal was displayed at a summit run by conservative student group Turning Point USA. The image included a two headed eagle, which resembles the bird on the Russian coat of arms. The gaffe is being credited to a Google search mistake and an audio visual aid um, has been fired as a result. So I think it was. Unintended? They Google-searched an image, and that's what they came up with. We're going to go with that version anyway. While well, the seal was displayed on Tuesday, it was local time, at Turning Point USA Student Summit, where the president gave a raucous 80-minute speech. Oh, my goodness, 80 minutes. 80 minutes. Ooh, and was greeted warmly by the youthful audience. The image included a two-headed eagle instead of just one head, as they have, which closely resembles the bird of the Russian coat of arms. Uh, the eagle is holding golf clubs in its left talons instead of the traditional seal's clutch of arrows and a cash in its right talons instead of an olive branch. Uh, the actual seal says E pluribus unum, which means from many one in Latin on the banner above the bird's head. The altered seal said 45 es un tetere, which in Spanish means 45 is a puppet. Mr. Trump is the forty-fifth president of the United States. If you didn't put that together, in addition, the uh, shield on the bird's chest has um, hammer and sickle symbols on it. Now, really how do you do not they, notice this? How do, do you not really notice this? Not look carefully enough to catch any of this, uh, and it, it, it wasn't just you know a little. It was magnified. On yeah. It, oh, yeah. All I've all seen, it's, It was
3: quite a big. Thing.
2: There were suspicions at the White House that the originators had found the doctored image online and mistakenly used it. And Turning Point USA has since conceded it was responsible for the gaffe. A source familiar with the event told the outlet it was just a terrible Google search mistake and that an audiovisual aid for the conservative student group has been fired as a result. Uh, one of our video team members did a Google image search for the uh, high resolution PNG file presidential seal. Uh, they told CNN uh, the political nonprofit group has fa- was founded to organize conservative students on college campuses. Um, it maintains a controversial professor watch list of college professors it deems too liberal. Uh, Mr. Trump is yet to comment on the
3: gaffe. I mean, I wow. understand looking – maybe it's a, the wrong type of eagle or you know, maybe it doesn't say e pluribus unum on it. But, you know, I could understand making a simple mistake like that, but the hammer and sickle?
2: If you're completely if unfamiliar with yeah, your completely unfamiliar with the, the seal, the presidential yeah. seal, you might not know what to expect. So I can see how that could happen for someone Exactly. By someone who doesn't have any clue at all, but my goodness. There
3: <laughs> are so many things wrong with this yeah, one. And
2: no one caught it until Nobody it had actually been displayed kind of a comical but seriously bad thing. Uh, let's see. Well, a uh, Pogo Palooza. Known as the World Championship of Pogo, is bouncing into Pittsburgh this weekend. Extreme Pogo stick athletes from around the world. Extreme Pogo stick athletes. Hmm.
3: From all around the world. Now, when you say extreme Pogo, are you talking about extreme Pogo? Is there such a thing as that? Or are they just extreme enthusiasts of Pogo? I don't really
2: know. Uh, but they're from all around the world. They're coming to town to show off their huge tricks and flips to compete for world titles in such categories as high jump and best trick. Okay. The event on Saturday and Sunday, events rather, I should say, aren't just for the grown ups. Pogo users under the age of 15 can enter a bounce off competition, and those who bounce the longest get a free pogo stick, which clearly they already have. But visitors can try their hand at pogo sticking in a free jump area. Uh, That will have pogo sticks of all sizes. In addition to the main competitors, the pogo athletes, pogo athletes, hmm, will be attempting to break three Guinness World Records, of course. Ooh, yes. Got to have the
3: Guinness World Records going on.
2: A pogo palooza. So that's taking place in Pittsburgh. I like alliteration. Pogo palooza in Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania. Extreme pogo athletes. Huh. Well, a flying Frenchman's hoverboard bid to cross the channels, well, there was a fuel mishap and he didn't quite make it. It's sort of the ultimate pogo. You bounce once and fly the rest of the way. A French inventor failed in his attempt to cross the English Channel on a jet-powered hoverboard on Thursday when he was knocked into the water as he landed on a boat-mounted refueling platform, his technical team.
3: That sounds uh, painful.
2: Yeah, it does. I I guess there are all kinds of things to compete in and to attempt. And then there's this persistence paid off for a retired Tennessee banker who won the weekend's Hemingway lookalike contest on his eighth try.
3: On his eighth try. So seven other times there were people better than him. Ernest Hemingway
2: look-alike contest.
3: Okay, well, Joe it's be- Maxie, better than a Mariel Hemingway look-alike contest, I suppose. <laughs> Joe Maxie, 68, of
2: Cedar Hill, uh, triumphed during a three-round contest that concluded on Saturday night at Key West's Sloppy Joe's Bar. A frequent hangout for Nobel Prize-winning author Ernest Hemingway when he lived and wrote on the subtropical island during the 30s. Well, this year's Hemingway Days celebration marked the writer's 120th and Joe Maxey's 68th. Maxey said he's not a prolific angler as was Hemingway um, who targeted blue marlin sailfish and other deep sea game fish between Key West and Cuba but does share other traits with the author. I love mojitos and he likes to be around women. The lookalike contest was judged by a panel of former winners including 2018's Michael Grover, husband of celebrity chef Paula Dean. He won it apparently. Many con- I've seen him before. He doesn't look like Hemingway to me. Many contenders wore casual sportsman garb or thick sweaters attempting to emulate Hemingway's characteristic appearance in his latter years. Crowds of spectators roared approval as they paraded on stage and took turns speaking.
3: So this basically seven other guys had to win over the years for this yes. guy to win. Yeah. Because he's been trying for eight years.
2: And and this is something he won. This is an accomplishment. I look like that, somebody else. That's
3: disturbing.
2: Now, do you look like anybody?
3: Um My mom.
2: That's true. You do look like your mom. And I have to say in um, the uh, Prince Caspian and the – is that the ship? Is that the one with the ship? Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Yeah, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the third cousin.
3: Oh, yeah. You've mentioned this I thought new, he yeah.
2: reminded me of you.
3: Are, you did mention that at the time even. Yeah.
2: Yes, at the time. Um, anyway, so you kind of look like, – do I look like anybody?
3: Um, you look like – a. a Georgine Rice to me.
2: I, I've been to Hawaii this is in the last, it's been quite a few years now, but, oh, you look just like Oprah Winfrey.
3: Yeah, I don't see that. I don't
2: look anything like Oprah Winfrey, but three times on three separate occasions, I just had curly hair and I was a black woman and that was all it took to look like Oprah Winfrey. I didn't get anything free though, so I was a little disappointed.
3: That is, that you went know, you, you, you ahead. Oprah look-alike contest, and you win an Oprah look like contest, and you win an Oprah look like oh, contest. Oh, and the general
2: manager, who used to uh, be the GM here at the station many, many years ago, told me I looked like Whoopi Goldberg.
3: Really? Don't mm-hmm. see that either.
2: Clark, stop nodding. <laughs> no, I don't look anything like Whoopi Goldberg. We don't even have the hair in common, and I do not. I'm just going to declare right now I do not look like Whoopi Goldberg. Thank well, you very much. On the off
3: chance that maybe you are, you were great in Jump and Jack Flash, just saying. Yeah, thanks. Yeah.
2: You keep out of this, Clark. I see you back there. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to whip um, Clark into shape. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. An Indiana sheriff's office took a bite out of crime on Monday when they caught a woman – Wearing a set of dentures that clearly were not hers at her own probation meeting.
3: Ew. <laughs> ew. Oh. Oh.
2: Oh, sorry. I was just having a little hard time. <laughs> Whew.
3: Yeah, ew. Earlier
2: that day someone reported that a woman identified as Joanne Childers uh stole her teeth and accused her of wearing them around. Ew. On Wednesday, officials spoke to her about the alleged denture theft. Uh, The sheriff's office wrote on Facebook that while speaking uh, with her, a deputy saw the dentures in plain view inside her home, and they were uh, even uh, reportedly labeled with the alleged victim's name on them. The sheriff's office also appeared to see the funny side of the incident with a series of hashtags accompanying the post, including caught with my teeth in, taking a bite out of crime, gum decision, I'll have jail soup, and she's not the tooth fairy. Childers was charged with theft, according to officials who added that the dentures were recovered. Now, my question is, do you want them back? No. I mean, they're your dentures. Yeah. They fit you. They're designed for you. Do you want them back after that? I mean, I suppose you can have them cleaned thoroughly, but I just don't think I'd be able to think look at them the same. I think
3: feeling would be burn them.
2: Ooh, that just... Mm.
3: You know, it's it's you know when you're a kid and you pick up something off the ground or, and your parents say, "Don't touch that." You don't know where it's been. In this case, you know exactly <laughs> where it's been,
2: <laughs> which is why you probably don't exactly. want exactly them ever again. Yeah, that's. Um, I think I'm with you on that one. Oh. they're expensive, but maybe she can get some restitution.
3: Well, File air... an insurance claim
2: or something. Oh, yeah. Air travel is becoming a test of physical endurance. Seats have shrunk, leg room has vanished, and the airlines aren't do- done with you yet. Now, you've just traveled yes. uh, by plane recently, so this may be of interest to you. Cebu Air Inc., the Philippines' biggest budget carrier last month, said it was moving kitchens and bathrooms on some of its new A330 Neos to cram in an additional 460 seats, 20 more than the plane's current maximum. It's part of a broader push, particularly in Asia, to stuff more people on jets flying the most popular routes, according to aviation researchers. It's all a matter of squeezing as many passengers as you can within that little tube flying through the air. This was a Bangkok-based consultant at the firm. It's only going to get worse over the next decade, as people here at least get bigger These uh, flights are going to get more and more crowded. Even if paying customers are less happy, packing more of them into cabins has helped turn around the U.S. aviation industry in recent years. In Asia, where 100 million people fly for the first time every year, the strategy is now the bread and butter for low-cost carriers serving an exploding middle class that cares more about price than about comfort. Well, Asia's demand has led to industry shortages for almost everything from pilots to mechanics to airports and runways to say nothing of legroom. Carriers go to great lengths to avoid buying more aircraft and having to pay for extra landing rights at airports that are close to bursting. Buying bigger planes is one way to deal with the problem, as AirAsia Group uh, BHD is doing. The Malaysian budget carrier in June said it's changing an order for 100 aircraft to a larger model. It carries 50 or more passengers and flies about 600 miles further. Another tactic is uh, simply bolting in more chairs. European low-cost carrier Ryanair Holdings PLC led the charge in 2014 when it ordered high-density jets from Boeing with eight more seats than normal. Cathay Pacific Airways, once a hallmark of comfort in 2017, started cramming in an extra seat into every economy row on its Boeing 777. Uh, at the cost of about an inch of personal space for every passenger, passenger rather. Less legroom is now the industry form norm rather. In an early 2000s um uh, adjustment, rows in economy used to be 34 inches to 35 inches apart. Now 30 to 31 inches is typical, though 28 inches can be found on short flights according to Washington D.C.-based advocacy group Flyers Rights. Seats have narrowed to from about 18.5 inches to 17 inches on average.
3: Yeah, it's definitely getting uh It definitely is. And you know, there's there are a couple value airlines out there um you know that are um, really cheap. But and they, they you know, they have a cheap base flight and then, you know, they have all kinds of upsells um, and uh, some of them don't even have recline on the chairs anymore. You know, the little 2 mm-hmm. inches of extra uh, you know so you can lay down um but um, it, i've noticed it, it definitely legroom is you know because I'm, I'm not getting any taller at this point um, and i'm definitely seeing less and less legroom but uh, on the most recent flight uh, when we went down to uh, California last week um, we took a uh, uh, we we flew down on miles and we spent a couple extra miles to have extra legroom um, yeah, but and if you normally to I will not spend person, the extra money to do it, but you when know, it's points, it's it's yeah, all right. Different.
2: But. If you're a tall person, it can be very uncomfortable. And I think it explains in part why people are getting so agitated on flights. I mean, alcohol may play a role as well, but it can be so tight. I know the last flight um, I took from Minneapolis uh, back home, uh, there was a larger gentleman sitting next to me, so much so that we couldn't put the arm down. And he's entitled to a seat, so we, the arm was up. And I literally had to sit at an angle in order for both of us to fit. And there was someone to the right of me, the larger gentleman on the left. And it was just the whole thing was uncomfortable. I I could not move um, the whole time. And the leg room wasn't there and the width wasn't there either. So I'm guessing if they've gone down from 35 to you know, 30, 31, it's not working for a lot of people.
3: Yeah, it's when you realize that, uh, you know, especially for someone like me, it's like, I feel like I'm going to eat the little screen in front of me um, and that the, uh, you know, that the uh, tray table is going to cut oh, off circulation in my stomach. Yes. Um, <laughs>
2: the tray table can be bad it, So it's, when they're you know, uh, reclined yeah. back. Yeah, it's it's bad. Well, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, there was a two-year-old um, who was seen climbing onto a luggage belt and then disappearing as the uh, belt started moving, moving. Workers got him off the uh, conveyor uh, when he dropped into a screening room where the luggage was going to be sorted, the child's hand was fractured, but he was otherwise fine through the whole thing. Um, but the security video later released the airport and it shows some of what to happen next. One camera recorded this little kid disappearing Um, Feet first through a rubber curtain beyond the reach of his mother and the airport worker. Video then shows him crawling over bags trying to avoid being pulled through a large screening machine that resembles a darkened cave above the conveyor belt. Uh, but the conveyor was too fast and it pulled him inside. He pops out the other side only to tumble down into another room where startled security workers pluck him from the belt and gave him hugs. I mean, this kid is hysterical at this point. Well, the screening machine had detected a problem and diverted the child on a path for a bag's. In need for more checks. So thankfully, they're able to discern a TSA spokesman said that's uh, when workers rushed to help the uh, in the video showed that, well, the uh, the officers who work down there, almost all of them are parents and they were mortified to see this poor kid. Um, uh, They spoke with some of the workers who were on duty that day in the noisy baggage area who recalled hearing what they thought was a cat screaming. Once they saw the child, they raced to his aid. The video shows and they were able to comfort him. It was quite a moment that really uh, brought perspective to life and how important life is, says one of the TSA workers. Uh, uh, Speaking on Good Morning America, the child's hand, as I mentioned, was fractured through all of this, but otherwise he was okay. Thankful uh, he's alive, says his mother. That's all that goes through the mind of anyone who watches a kid in this situation. Just grateful that he's uh, he survived the whole ordeal. But it's really uh, sad to see him he's on this conveyor and you see him drop down where all the bags are you don't know what happens from that point forward but thankfully he was not injured so make sure your kids stay off that whole thing when oh it's and it's a challenge sometimes
3: cuz they yes. are gravitated there's towards there's a lot it. of
2: people their bags there's a lot of activity and it's yeah it's, it's like ooh, uh, that
3: looks fun and mm-hmm. it, you can i mean that was one of the first things we learned when we started uh, when we were traveling with our daughter when she first started becoming mobile um and you know walking and able it's you have to watch every second
2: and the, you're right they're very quick
3: so, yes yeah, keep your... you turn your head for 30 seconds to look and see where your luggage is and you look and uh where'd you go
2: yep all right we're going to take a break for news and traffic at the top of the hour but we'll be back with more of the lighter side of the news we'll also talk with max McLean about c.s lewis on stage the most reluctant convert he'll be performing at the newmark theater the second and third of august
1: you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. You are clearly a glutton for punishment if you have uh, held over to the second hour of the program, because James Blend will continue to uh, play a role in the remainder of uh, of this hour.
3: It, it, like a, a, a significant role, or just like a cameo?
2: It's like a significant cameo.
3: I could deal with that.
2: Okay. Um,
3: as long as I get my SAG card at the end.
2: <laughs> you will. Okay, good. Only it will be spelled S A D.
3: Oh, I already have the G one of those. She is silent. Yeah, I already have one of those. Uh,
2: by the way, we're going to share with you a conversation I had with Max McLean. He is going to be presenting C.S. Lewis on stage, the most reluctant convert, coming to the Newmark Theater on the second and third of August. We'd love to have you there, um, but he'll uh, we'll provide all the details. That's coming up in our next hour. Also, I want to remind you that we're going to give tickets away to the Gospel Sing a uh, music festival that's coming up on the 16th of August uh, throughout the uh, the next several days. So make note of that and listen up for your opportunity to win. Well, apparently there are um, uh, three brand new miles, uh, a stretch of the Columbia River Highway uh, state trail that runs on the south side of I-84 and connects with the historic Columbia River Highway and their new biking and walking paths that are opening up there. I know you're quite the outdoorsman, fishing, hunting, you know, the whole nine yards so you're going to be interested in, uh, in this.
3: Absolutely. If there's a video game that does any of those things, I'm down.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're not really. The, uh, you've said before that you're an indoor pet.
3: I am absolutely an indoor pet. I saw, a, uh, I saw a shirt the other day that i really tempted to get that says indoorsy on it. You know, outdoorsy. <laughs> yeah, it, you it, should it, have. It's got a picture of a TV behind it. I'm like, yeah, that's my shirt. That's my shirt right there.
2: And you didn't get it.
3: Uh, no, it was a little. It was a little. Do you need little, a little
2: cash because I can help you. You need to say It was
3: not a cheap T-shirt. So yeah, <laughs> if you want to chip in, I'm all for Donations it.
2: Donations are being taken for the. Uh, I'll for set the up t-shirt. a
3: GoFundMe. <laughs>
2: um, one more reason to love the beautiful Columbia River Gorge outside of the car, or from pictures maybe taken at an, on another occasion. A brand new biking and walking path from Cascade Locks to near uh, Hood River is just a little over a week away from opening, we're being told. It's a $21 million project that crews have been working on for years. Um, The brand-new three-mile stretch of the Columbia River Highway State Trail runs on the south side of Interstate 84. It comes close to connecting to the historic Columbia River Highway, but doesn't quite. That stretch was demolished when the interstate was built. Uh, But this rebuilt section is, um, sorry drivers, car-free. So if you are looking for an experience that doesn't uh, hearken the century that we're in, the new three-mile segment is just for people who choose to walk, bike, or roll. Uh, and this is one of many segments that they've, um, they're putting together that are car-free, according to uh, Kimberly Dinwiddie from the Oregon Department of Transportation. Currently, cyclists have to ride along the shoulder of I-84 the entire way to get between Cascade Locks and Hood River. But this new stretch of the state trail will change that. Um, In fact, even those who don't often cycle want to try it out. So, James, this might be for you. Those who don't often, it doesn't say ever, it says often want to cycle, might want to try this out. Are you feeling a little bit tempted to try this out? No. I didn't think so. Not at all. It, It just... Looks so amazing through the trees, says one observer who was visiting the area from Colorado. Uh, That would be so fun to ride through here, although it's not ready yet. We're about a week or two away. When the section of the trail opens a week from this Saturday, ODOT uh, will have connected 65 miles of the 73 miles of the historic Columbia River Highway. The remaining five miles is in the Hood River area. ODOT said that that stretch will be a challenge because it's going to require cutting through rocks and building new tunnels. But when that is completed, the trail will stretch from Troutdale all the way to the Dalles. Maybe by then you'll have the, uh, that sense of adventure, just some sort of well up in you, and you'll suddenly find yourself with a strong desire to go outside.
3: Okay, let me explain this to you, Georgine. Now, I don't go outside very often. We know this. Yeah. We've made this abundantly clear. I spent the last week up until Tuesday in California. I got back Tuesday morning. Yeah, Today is the first day I've been able to wear my wedding ring because my hand was swollen from sunburn. So no, no, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't tempting to you. Not even vaguely, because <laughs> no sunblock in, on the planet has been created strong enough to prevent me from burning. Really? Oh, I, I used quite a lot of it, and I'm still a happy shade of pink.
2: Wow. I mean, don't they have like SPF 100 or...
3: Uh, ninety five I probably need like s p f eight hundred or something like that i i'm I, you know when it comes to the ability to survive in the sun, i am just to the right of vampire i, I mean you know they they explode in the sun so don't really you
2: know, even want to go there
3: no no i'm just thought. i'm just saying they explode in the sun i wither come close,
2: yeah, yeah, well, I have to tell you I was amused by this story, some might find it uh Sad. And it is sad, I will say that. <laughs> a girl in Devon, which of course isn't here, was very upset because seagulls, seagulls rather, snatched a very dear friend uh, from her garden and carried said friend away. Well, the bird apparently swooped down into a garden in Devon and carried away her chihuahua. Ooh! Uh, leaving her distraught and missing her dog. Well, the six-year-old girl is really upset after that seagull dropped into her garden and made off with her miniature chihuahua uh, in its beak. I mean, that's got to be a pretty small chihuahua or a really big bird to make that happen. But the child's mother said um, they're putting some washing out in the uh, area when they suddenly saw the bird swoop down and carry off the dog. And apparently the dog has not been returned. Now I'm not sure it technically qualifies as a dog when it's that small if a if a uh, seagull can carry it off that's more like a rat or a mouse wouldn't you say I mean they've got longer legs and uh this hair's a little bit longer but that t- I think technically if we were to consult some sort of uh, uh volume I think it would technically qualify for a rat rather than a dog for a seagull to be able to carry the thing off
3: Yeah you know it's funny I, I mean When you started talking about the series that uh, we were at uh, SeaWorld last week and you have the opportunity to feed the sea lions Mm -hmm. for a fee, of course. Um, But um, (laughs) my my wife got this little thing and it had three little fish in it, uh, or I should say former fish. um, Or um, dead fish. Yes, exactly. And um, only one of them made it to the sea lion as the seagulls swooped and caught two of them in midair as she flung them. So they 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 do have some uh, precision to them.
2: Yeah, and a little bit of aggression.
3: A little bit, yeah. They they were just. Uh, so I asked her after, how, how did you have fun feeding the seagulls?
2: Well, what does a seagull do with a little rat, also known as a, a chihuahua? Once it's in the beak and it's flying off, what what does a seagull do with that? I mean, he's not going to eat. Uh, I
3: don't think he. I mean, that, no, I don't think they have the capability to. eat I don't think so either. Like so that.
2: probably the dog if was there. Are any dropped,
3: zoologists or anything like that? in the audience email into Instant Rice, but uh, let us know. But I don't see that as. Yeah, it I'm just seems like something uh, you know, recreational.
2: Poor Gizmo was dropped somewhere. Gizmo was disoriented, as most rats would be under these circumstances, traumatized. And is just out wandering.
3: Looking for the nearest Taco Bell.
2: Yeah, wow. maybe so. Anyway, that had to be a sight to see, though, a seagull picking up a rat, also known as a chihuahua, and flying off. Wow. Let's see. A Serbian man who has not been named uh, wanted to keep the Isn't woman. That on
3: his fault of his parents?
2: Well, he's been named, but he was not named for the story. Oh, gotcha. I appreciate that clarification. It could have been so confusing. I was confused. To nobody. The Serbian man who has not been named for the purpose of this story wanted to keep the woman he loved in the country longer, longer than she was supposed to be after she had refused to date him. So what does a guy do? Well, he made a fake bomb threat in order to get a date with a flight attendant who had already turned him down. Do you see the logic here? It's kind of like a seagull carrying off a chihuahua. A 65-year-old man who admitted making a fake bomb threat in the hopes of getting a date with a flight attendant, who has also um, has not been named, the Serbian man's telephone call caused Luthanza flight LH1411 to be evacuated on Thursday before its takeoff from Belgrade to Frankfurt. By the way... Of a disclaimer, I would not recommend this tactic if you're trying to get a date or for any other reason for that matter. All 130 passengers and five crew members had to leave the aircraft while it was searched by a special police squad and sniffer dog. I don't see this as endearing. Maybe you're different than I am, but uh, no. Well, the man who has not been named for the purpose of this story had met two flight attendants and invited them for dinner, but they refused. So this was plan B. Needless to say, police traced his call after he made the threat, and he was arrested a day later. And no, there was no date. Wow. Wow. So you can mark that off as things not to do when seeking to date someone. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. It's a fun Friday afternoon. We're looking forward to a great evening of sunshine and warmth. And hope you are looking forward to a good weekend. And if I haven't mentioned it yet, today is my niece Bailey's 14th birthday. It makes the day all the more sweet. So we'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Um, James Blend, by the way, is also here. Reminder, coming up uh, in our next segment, we're going to hear from Max McLean. C.S. Lewis is coming to town. Okay, Max McLean playing C.S. Lewis on stage, The Most Reluctant Convert, coming to the Newmark Theater on Broadway here in Portland the 2nd and 3rd of August. So looking forward to uh, that conversation. Well, I thought this was kind of interesting. American kids want to be famous on YouTube. There's no big surprise there, but kids in China want to go to space as astronauts. According to a recent survey of three thousand kids found that being a YouTube star was a more sought after profession than be- profession <laughs> it 's now classified as a profession than being an astronaut among kids in the u s and the United Kingdom. Children ages eight to twelve in the u s the u k and China were recently polled in honor of the fiftieth anniversary of the Apollo eleven mission. Which resulted in the first person to walk on the moon. Now, whether or not these 8 to 12 year olds in the U.S. and U.K. understood that was the anniversary remains to be seen. But kids in the U.S. and the U.K. were three times more likely to want to be YouTubers or vloggers than astronauts, while kids in China were more likely to want to be astronauts. I don't want to read too much into this, but that does say something, doesn't it? Neil Armstrong became the role model in the eyes of kids everywhere 50 years ago when he became the first person to walk on the moon on the 20th of July 1969. Now, we are so past that now. Maybe kids don't appreciate the challenge that posed at the time. And because we are not doing much in space today, maybe they're just not Um, thinking about what the possibilities might be, despite Star Wars and some of these other television programs that spark the imagination. Well, kids in a recent survey, however, were much more likely to aspire to be the next YouTube star rather than the next person in space. The survey conducted by Harris Poll on behalf of Lego found that children in the U.S. and the U.K. were three times as likely to want to be YouTubers or vloggers than astronauts when they grow up. The survey asked 3,000 of these kids, ages 8 to 12, to choose from five professions to answer uh, which one they wanted to be when they grew up. Astronaut, musician, professional athlete, teacher, or vlogger slash YouTuber. And though the top choice among kids in the U.S. and the U.K. was vlogger, YouTuber, 56% of kids in China said they wanted to be an astronaut. That doesn't bode well for the Republic. The non-probability online survey was conducted to honor the 50th anniversary of the first manned moon landing. The poll surveyed 3,000 kids divided evenly among the U.S., the U.K., and China, maybe 3,000 of the wrong kids. Though the survey results can't necessarily be applied to all kids, the results reflect a trend seen among Generation Z. Uh, As evidence, at this year's VidCon, a three-day conference about online video, an estimated 75,000 teens, now that wouldn't be 8 to 12, but these are teens, and their parents showed up to hear from their favorite YouTubers. Every time I go to school, the most said thing from 90% of kids is, I want to be a YouTuber, says the YouTuber DeStorm Power. Speaking to Business Insider, they want to be social media stars. Well, it seems like the culture has its work cut out for it, or maybe we do. Anyway, uh, James, do you aspire to be a vlogger or a YouTube sensation? I mean, you're already a sensation here, but do you want to add to your resume a vlogger? I don't vlogger? think I could
3: handle the, addition, the additional popularity, quite honestly. I mean, I'm certainly... Oh, the ad- adulation. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I already have enough trouble just getting out of the building every night. Um, you know, it, it's something <laughs> like, uh, you know... If people wonder what it's what is it like for James to walk to the car yeah. uh, every night after work? Yeah, what's James
2: wearing it, today?
3: It's, it's I, the best thing I can think of is the opening scenes of a hard day's night. Yeah, uh, I mean it's very Beatlesque. It's um, got to be tough you know, for it's, you. It's, it's tough Screaming for me. Screaming so, girls, yeah. I mean, you know, to be a, a you know a YouTuber or a vlogger or um, what they call influencer, mm-hmm. um, you know, get paid to you know post pictures on Instagram in fun places. I just don't think I could handle that additional stress. Yeah, I can see I, that. It's just too hard.
2: Yeah, it, it, it would be too much. Absolutely. I'm even sorry I brought it up.
3: But I, I do hear people now that you know say they want to be an influencer when they grow up. Like,
2: okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're an influencer in the real world doing real stuff, I'm all for that. No, this, but...
3: They're talking social media. Yeah,
2: I know. Yeah. Sadly. Yep. Well, if you didn't have enough back in the when were they on? Some 50 years ago. The Brady Bunch. If you haven't had enough of the Brady Bunch, uh, there is now a program on HGTV, A Very Brady Renovation. All of the Brady kids are apparently part of the program on HGTV and they are um, renovating the old Brady household. Uh, I. The stars of the Brady Bunch gathered at the Television Critics Association 2019 Summer Press Tour, that was back on Thursday, to reflect on the old show's success and talk about their new series, A Very Brady Renovation. Uh, The Brady Bunch, the original program, first aired some 50 years ago, but it has uh, grown into a pop culture phenom, spawning stage shows, movies, reunion specials, and a never-ending stream of memes and gifts built around such moments as Jan, Eve Plum, complaining that her older sister, Marsha Marsha Marcia, gets all the attention. Lavery Brady Renovation is a four-part HGTV series, a series rather, that brought the actors who played the siblings in The Blended Family together once again to pitch in on renovating the Los Angeles house used for exterior shots of the Brady home in the sitcom. Wow, you bring the popcorn, James, and I'll bring the soda. Says um, the kid, Christopher Knight, who played middle son Peter, we didn't know where this house was when they made the Brady Bunch. Uh, he didn't find out until 1990, he says, where the house was actually located. It was only used for a screenshot to come in and out of the program. Um, Plenty of other Brady Bunch fans heard about the house, however, and it became a popular tourist stop despite being located in a residential area far from where it was actually filmed, the program. The house grew even more famous when it went up for sale and the HGTV network won a bidding war. Singer Lance Bass also was interested in the house. They paid $3.5 million for it, almost double the $1.89 million asking price. Way, way too much. In fact, that's for a what, house. Yeah, for that house in particular. That's yeah. what Barry Williams, who played the eldest Brady son, Greg, uh, he drew laughter from reporters who were there for the press tour promoting the new program. Though the Brady Bunch was filmed on sets located elsewhere, a very Brady renovation will show the work uh, that went into transforming the house into the replica of the interiors uh, seen on the original show, which first aired from 69 to 74. As the HGTV publicity says, the makeover has added 2,000 square feet to the original house. Features will include the Brady Bunch floating staircase, orange and green kitchen, and the kids' Jack and Jill bathroom. The actors who played the Brady kids, including McCormick, Plum, Williams, Knight, and Olson, were filmed as part of the team who worked on the transformation of the house. My guess is there's a team working on the house. Stop, stop everything. Marsha walks over. TV name. She grabs a hammer, hits the wall a couple of times, cut, and she's off for the rest of the day at a spa. You would think. Yeah. It's amazing that it was done, says Williams, one of the characters, who said the restored house is an almost perfect replica of the home from the Brady Bunch, from the furniture to the fake grass in the backyard. If the team couldn't find the proper items to recreate the Brady Bunch, this isn't updating the house to the 21st century. This is simply transforming it into the interior you saw on television, which had no relationship to the exterior you saw in the opening scenes. So this seems like a tremendous waste of money, but maybe advertisers will make up the difference. Anyway, uh, if the team couldn't find the proper items to recreate the Brady brunch house, they made it, said uh, the Plum printing fabrics and creating whatever was required. All of us were involved in all aspects of it, she said, from crafting to doing some demolition. Olsen recalled another of the characters Uh, when she was young as a performer on the original show. She wondered about how the exterior views saw um, the exterior viewers uh, saw could ever match up to the interiors. It didn't seem big enough for, for one thing. But now Olsen said the real house mirrors the one from the show. Now, what do you do with the house now that it's been transformed into the old um, interiors. What do you do with a house like that? I mean, does somebody want to buy it now that it's been backdated to the late the, 60s? The crazy
3: thing is probably.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, the one probably. thing is,
3: though, and I, I, I don't think they mentioned it in the article, uh, that uh, there's one thing that's going to be a little inaccurate in that house. What's that? Uh, well, of course, I, having seen number of episodes of the Brady Bunch over the years, I uh, mainly through reruns since I wasn't quite around yet when it was on. Um, there are a lot of scenes, of course, in the bathroom, you know, brushing teeth, brushing hair, conversations between the kids, between the parents, all that type of stuff. They weren't allowed to show commodes. So they weren't in the set at all. So the bathrooms in the original Brady Bunch do not have toilets.
2: Oh, dear. That could pose a problem. For That's this what I'm renovation. saying. So if it's
3: an exact <laughs> replica of that house, it has no toilets, run away.
2: Yeah, I'm not buying it.
3: No. No.
2: We're going to take a break. You're listening to the fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. When we come back, we're going to hear from Max McLean. C.S. Lewis on stage, the most reluctant convert. He's going to be presenting that uh, performance at Newmark Theater on the 2nd of August. There's an 8 o'clock p.m. performance and a repeat on the 3rd of August at 4 p.m. All of those details coming up in a moment.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, I am delighted to announce that Fellowship for Performing Arts is returning to Portland with a masterful performance of C. S. Lewis on stage, the most reluctant convert. Following its hit twenty eighteen national tour, Fellowship for Performing Arts, the producers of the Screw Tape Letters and The Great Divorce, is returning to Portland with C. S. Lewis on stage. The most reluctant convert. Now, this award winning uh, performance by an award winning actor, Max McLean, presents a theatrical portrayal of C.S. Lewis' journey from atheism to faith. And what a tremendous journey this is. In fact, uh, the Weekly Standard writes C.S. Lewis on stage delivers something truly novel in modern theater a story about an immensely creative mind arriving at the threshold of faith, a truthful, richly textured, and witty account of religious conversion. Well, C.S. Lewis, of course, is one of the um, most vibrant and influential Christian intellectuals of the 20th 20th century, and his journey from atheism to faith is one worth tracing. Well, my guest is Max McLean. He is founder and artistic director of New York City-based Fellowship for Performing Arts, which produces theaters um, theater uh, from a Christian worldview, presented in leading performances uh, and performance venues nationwide, and created to, to engage diverse audiences, and we are delighted that this performance is coming to the Newmark Theater here in the Portland area on the second and third of August. Max McLean, thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you, Georgine. Looking forward to coming to Portland next week.
2: Well, we are so excited about this uh, this new performance. Tell us a little bit about the Most Reluctant Convert.
4: Well, it started. Uh, as a result of doing uh, the theatrical adaptations of the screw tape letters and the great divorce uh, because when you adapt any kind of of book from the page to the stage, you really have to uh, dig into it. And both of those stories, the screw tape letters and the great divorce told aspects of Lewis's Mm -hmm. own conversion story in the screw tape letters. He is the patient who is the object of Screwtape's attacks. And so Lewis was, was referring to the kind of spiritual warfare that was keeping him from faith. And in the great divorce, he is the uh, narrator that's being guided on this trip to heaven. And he's, he's telling about how, uh, how, how he resisted the Holy spirit in his life. Uh, and so it got me to thinking, wow, Lewis is always talking about his, his conversion. He's, he's always going back to it. So I decided to look at his conversion, Surprised by Joy, and realize he wrote so much about his conversion, uh, Pilgrim's Regress, Till We Have Faces, Surprised by Joy. All of his books, all of these books told, uh, centered on that pivotal moment when he recognized, realized clearly that Jesus is the Son of God.
2: Is C.S. Lewis still relevant today? One might argue that he has significant influence through his writing, but for young people who may be less familiar uh, with his place in history and his writings, is he still relevant today?
4: Well, there's there's several ways to answer that question. One is the sale of his books. Uh, He sells he sold more books this year than he sold last year, and very likely will sell more books next year than this year. And that's because uh, uh, people are discovering him, mm-hmm. and and he and he has an ability to articulate the Christian faith in such imaginative, multi-layered ways that is so satisfying uh, to uh, a particular kind of person, like, we'll take myself you know, uh, uh, academic types, artistic types, literary types who, who often are uh, unfertile, hard soil for the gospel. And and Lewis has a marvelous way of softening people's hearts, and, and he's done that, you know, with people like uh, Chuck Colson and uh, many others that uh, came to faith through his writings. Uh, so I do think that anytime anyone uh, opens up near Christianity or or reads a quote. You know, he's probably uh, the most l- person that's lifted quotes from his writings more than anybody else, memes all over the place. And, and people say, who wrote that?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and, and, of course, you know, he captures people's imagination uh, for the gospel in a way that— uh, that I don't think any other writer even comes close.
2: Yeah. I think one of the things I especially appreciate about his story is that we tend to imagine in the 21st century that those who hold uh, to the view that there is no God, it's, it's too far a, a leap to imagine that they would come to faith in Christ. And yet this thoughtful intellectual who did all of the, uh, the intellectual work at arriving at his faith and, and to sort of trace how he came to faith in Christ in that personal relationship uh, just resonates, I, I would think, in the 21st century. And it is a hopeful message for those of us who are serious about sharing our faith in a comely way.
4: It really is. And, and what's so interesting is is the world that he lived in. You know, the Lord brought people in his path, people like J.R.R. Tolkien, who was crucially in, uh,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
4: placed. Uh, without Tolkien, I don't think that uh, Lewis would have really understood the significance of who Jesus is, and of course, uh, Lewis is uh, is uh, is known. Of course, that uh, if uh, if if Jesus' statements are false, Christianity is of no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Uh, Lewis recognized uh, through Tolkien and and others, uh, C. K. Chesterton uh, and George MacDonald, that that Jesus. Uh, when he says things that uh, he always existed, he's going to come again to judge the world. Who says things like that? Lunatics say things like that, but not great moral teachers. They don't say like that things like that. So Jesus, uh, if, if he says things like that, either uh, he is a, a liar, a lunatic, or uh, you have to give uh, some credibility to what he said. If you think that he is uh, shrewd and... Uh, and, and spoke with uh, with with tre- with tremendous insight uh, that even his enemies uh, were impressed by by that. Nobody thought of him as a lunatic. That was totally out of the question. Mm-hmm. So, and then of course, then you have uh, then you have to look at the miracles. Uh, all of these things uh, made uh, Lewis come to the conclusion uh, that, uh, as he said, that. Uh, uh, he His conversion began, uh, he said, uh, on the road to Whipsnade Zoo. He was uh, being driven by his brother, Warney in the sidecar of, of a motorcycle to Whipsnade Zoo one sunny morning in the autumn of 1931. When he set out, he did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When he reached the zoo, he did. <laughs> 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 and, and it was like, now, everybody asks, what happened during that motorcycle ride? well he had been arguing with himself for 17 years and that moment he stopped arguing and uh he had his born again experience and he realized that the the thread the golden thread of joy that was that was kind of the the the, the great uh, pull of his life the golden thread that kept he kept looking for was leading him to the gospel
1: hmm.
2: Well, what might our listeners expect in this one-man show as you take on the persona of C.S. Lewis to tell this remarkable story of the most reluctant convert who not only came to faith in Christ out of atheism but became one of the most influential Christian intellectuals of the twentieth century?
4: Well, just just to go from what you've just described from A to Z like that is is a is is essentially what the story uh, the eighty-minute play is is a, a, about um how how he made that step it's theater uh so it has to be entertaining it's a very funny show because he is he's such a huge personality mm-hmm. uh with tremendous wit uh that uh, the the play just uh just has a, a tremendous way of of grabbing uh people's attention in in such a deep, profound way uh, that uh, people think that it's like 20 minutes.
1: Hmm.
2: Well, I am so thrilled. I will be in the audience, and I know many of our listeners will be as well. I want to remind our listeners that uh, we're talking about C.S. Lewis on stage, the most reluctant convert at the Newmark Theater. It's coming up Friday and Saturday, August 2nd and 3rd. On Friday, the second at 8 p.m., and on Saturday, August the third at 4 p.m., we have uh, given away a pair of tickets uh, today, and we'll continue to do that through Wednesday of next week. But really, want to encourage you to take advantage of an opportunity to consider C.S. Lewis from a, pr- a slightly different vantage point. You may have read his work, maybe you're familiar with the name, but not so much with his work. This is a tremendously entertaining way to get to know a little bit about the man behind the uh, the books that uh, so many of us have seen in the movie theater, and books that we have uh, studied. Uh, and Max McLean is just un- unrivaled in terms of uh, performing as C.S. Lewis. Uh, if you're interested in tickets, and I hope you are, you can go to CS or you can call 800 273 1530 You'll find all that information at kpdq.com as well. Again, cslewisonstage.com or call 800-273-1530. And we'll continue to uh, remind you that this event is coming up very soon. And we would love to see you there at the Newmark Theater. Well, we're so thrilled that once again, you're coming to Portland with uh, excellent theater and bringing C.S. Lewis to life. And I thank you for taking the time to uh, share that with us today.
4: Delighted to do it. Thank you.
2: We will see you shortly. Bye-bye. Again, Max McLean, just a a tremendous performer coming to the Portland area, the Newmark Theater, August the 2nd, and Saturday, August the 3rd. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: And we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show on this beautiful Friday afternoon. Well, I should let you know that you should enjoy this hot day while it's lasting because Portland ends the week on a warm note with sunny skies and a high of 87, but things are going to cool off. By the way, some areas reached the 90s. I'm not sure we did right here at this location, but it's going to be a quick spike before temperatures cool considerably for the weekend. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us are looking for a little cooler weather. Uh, The meteorologists among us say that a weak front is approaching from the northwest. It's going to usher in a good chance for rain along the coast by Friday night. That's tonight. And chances for sprinkles and drizzle in southwest Washington and far northwest Oregon on Saturday morning. It's likely areas south of Aurora will only see heavy clouds with this system. And chances for showers on Saturday continue into the early afternoon. Hmm. Expect gradual clearing through the evening and a high of only 78 degrees. So for Oregonians, that seems like it's pretty comfortable. The end of the weekend features a sunny day on Sunday with sparse clouds and a high of 83. Looking forward, next week we'll start uh, start out clear with temperatures near normal for late July. I'm thinking that's probably in the... High 70s and mid 80s for July. Also, the American Meteor Society is predicting around 20 to 25 meteors per hour. That's coming up uh, next week. Two dueling meteor showers are going to occur early next week. Both uh, the Southern Delta Aquarids and the Alpha Capricornoids, or something very similar to that in name, will have peak showers late on Monday and during the early hours on Tuesday. According to the American Meteor Society... Are you a member, James, of the American Meteor Society? Or did you, you know, let I, your membership I'd think, expire? Yeah, I was going to say, I,
3: I think I may have forgotten to renew that last year.
2: Yeah. Well, the southern delta aquarids uh, are best seen in the southern tropics with faint meteors that lack both persistent trains and fireballs. No idea. On the other hand, the alpha capricornids... Um, As a week showers with bright fireballs in the sky, the showers can be seen on either side of the equator. So you might get a glimpse of them. The AMS predicts around 20 to 25 meteors per hour. Spectators in dark areas should also be able to see the glow of the Milky Way. So there you have it. I want to renew that American Meteor Society uh, membership. I remember the last time Dan and I went to, um, to Hawaii, we went to a couple of places and we looked up through these high-powered telescopes. We didn't see any meteors, but it was pretty amazing to go to these uh, places where they have the, I mean, the not the kind you have in your backyard, but the large telescopes and looked towards Observatory-type deals? Not quite to that level, but somewhere in between. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Anyway, I uh, want to let you know what's coming up uh, next week in part. Certainly, there'll be more than what we'll mention here today, but on Monday, I'm looking forward to talking with... Dr. Julie Slattery. She is the founder of Authentic Intimacy. Uh, she also is the uh, blogger at Java with Julie, and she uh, was one of the speakers at the Restored Hope uh, Network Conference a couple of, well, a few weeks ago, back in June, that I had the opportunity to MC and was very impressed. Uh, with her uh, talk on the subject of intimacy, and we're going to talk with her about that. On Tuesday, Zach Elliott will be my guest. Now I See is the title of the book. He was a pastor here in the metro area for a number of years, Uh, but this is his first book. Now I See, Lost Poet Press is the publisher. I'm looking forward to catching up with Zach Elliott. He and his family have moved away and are doing some significant work in ministering to pastors um, in their new home, so that's uh, coming up on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Casey Pipes after the fall, the remarkable comeback of Richard Nixon. Now, some might scratch their head, what comeback would that be? Well, we're going to talk about uh, what that means uh, from our vantage point in the 21st century. Now, some uh, some of our listeners weren't around during the time that Richard Nixon, uh, the uh, infamous Richard Nixon. Uh, was in office and and following uh, that season. But he had quite a significant history, and we're going to look at uh, the period after the fall and the comeback of the former president. On Thursday, we'll talk with Vishal Mangalwadi. He's the author of This Book Changed Everything, The Bible's Amazing Impact on Our World. Um, It's a significant book, and of course, we're going to look at precisely what the subtitle suggests, the impact that this Bible has had on the world. So that's coming up on Thursday. And then on Friday, we're expecting to just focus on the lighter side of the news. Well, according to the Oregonian, if you look around you, you might see um, uh, a can of LaCroix, a phone ringing and not being answered, and a slice of avocado toast. That could be because, according to a new study from Smart Asset, millennials love moving to Oregon and, more specifically, to Portland. Last year, Portland didn't even rank in the top 10 cities where millennials were moving. But this year, Portland has jumped to almost the head of the pack, coming in only behind Dallas and Seattle, according to the report, which is based on 2017 data from the U.S. Census Bureau. I'm not sure how 2017 data uh, from the U.S. Census Bureau is helping us understand the movement of millennials today, but it goes on. There was a net gain of 6,586 millennials into the city, Smart Asset said in the report. A lot of them are coming from out of state. Of the 25,405 millennials that moved to Portland in 2017, more than 15,533 of them came from a state other than Oregon, and it isn't just Portland. Smart Asset found that Oregon was the sixth most popular, uh, popular state rather for millennials to uh, to move to with a net migration of about 12,000 Five hundred and sixteen. So why are millennials bringing their crippling student debt, Tinder profiles, and hyper-colored T-shirts to the Beaver State? Well, smart asset. It doesn't get into reasons, but it seems likely it's because Oregon is so lit, fam, or, you know, some other uh, catchphrase millennials might say. So anyway, the population shifting in the state of Oregon at, uh, at greater rates. Do you have uh, big plans for the weekend?
3: You know, I, th- I think the only thing we've talked about possibly doing is uh, going out to that super-duper ice cream store as you head out to the coast at the Cheese Factory.
2: Oh, heading so, to Tillamook.
3: Yeah, that's that's the talk for tomorrow, potentially. But
2: uh, Are you spending the weekend at the coast? or just a drive out. Just a just day, out, oh, that just sounds a day like trip, one. potentially. Now, me, I'm, I'm going to the hottest spot um, in the city, well, in the metro area. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be celebrating with my 14-year-old niece uh, her birthday. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and just hanging out.
3: Will you be able to get through the paparazzi?
2: Yeah, she's uh, probably going to draw quite a quite a crowd. But uh, yes, the I good think news I is I won't be there, so we, we don't have position. to worry
3: about uh, we don't have to worry about it being too bad. We don't have to worry about those, you know, the Beatlesque fans we mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, that I won't be. Uh... I won't be uh, drawing to you know too many people, so that's that's good. Well, I
2: appreciate you foregoing the yeah, celebration. Yeah, no, I'm drawing them
3: away. I'm yeah. drawing them away. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to you. create a better experience for you and your family.
2: Thank you so much. I I care. can't I I'm can't tell you how much I appreciate that. No, really, I can't tell you because uh,
3: that's okay. <laughs> I I could see the look in your eyes.
2: Yeah, do you see that tear forming?
3: I do actually. Yeah. I do. Yeah, it's hey. microscopic, but I got one of those telescopes you were talking about earlier, and that that, that, that helped.
2: <laughs> yeah, hay fever. I um, want to thank James Blinn for producing and co-hosting today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Promise me you'll have a great weekend. Good night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice show and like us on Facebook.